0: Fergus Slack was sweating, against the effort of trying, with three other people, to shift a small and rather beautiful church organ. Now they were resting, Fergus smoking, in the weedy front driveway of Putnam House, up whose dilapidated steps they were planning to introduce the lonely instrument. Catty and Clermoget were both giggling. We'll never get it inside, Clem. Catty, her face pink wispy tendrils of brown hair clinging to its dampness began to sound serious. It spent all its life in a consecrated place, and now we are forcing it up our steps, like a convent girl being pushed into a house of ill repute. Our house has no reputation, ill or otherwise. Clem straightened up, ready to start pushing and shoving again. Oh, do be careful, stammered Hugh hiccuping and gulping as he generally did when he spoke. Fergus rolled his eyes. Look, Clem, I really do feel that we shouldn't sort of heave this ourselves. It's rather precious and should be treated as such. Hugh's brow was creased in distress. Well, it's been rotting away for the last ten years, said Catty briskly. And there's a good chance that it would have been demolished along with the church if we hadn't taken pity on it and given it sanctuary. But you are right. I do feel that we're going to have to call on some more muscle to get it inside and upstairs. Oh, shit, whined Fergus, sucking at the thumb which he had just pinched between the side of the organ and a stone pillar. A grey and maroon Ford Granada swung smartly between the wide gateposts into the driveway. Hesitated at the curve of the overgrown gravel sweep, Round the circular lawn, and then made a right hand turn, pulling up with a flourish, parallel to the precariously balanced organ. Clem, Hugh, Fergus, and Catty had just bent their backs once more to the task of heaving the organ, its blue and gold painted pipes shining forlornly in the late afternoon sun. They turned to watch the car sliding smoothly alongside. Fergus, sweating and unaccountably nervous, put his quarter of the instrument's considerable weight down awkwardly so that the base scraped against the edge of the lower steps and the massive piece tilted back to rest with a loud crack on the plump stone pillar at the front of the porch. He swore again. Angela stepped out of her taxi to face a gathering whose attention and concern was equally divided between her arrival and the fate of the handsome, collapsed piece of furniture. "'Darling Angela, you're looking so brown. I really can't believe you're here at last. Look, let me get you another one of those. No, really. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. We've got so much to talk about,' said Catty. "'Not yet,' thought Angela, taking a gulp of her chin. "'Not yet.' She smiled at Catty, and then she laughed. ''What's the matter? Are you happy to be back?'' ''No, it's not that, although I am. It's you. You're just as I always think of you, only more so.'' Angela's gesture swept in all of Catty's plump generosity. Standing there, bottle of gin in one hand, wine in the other, topping up glasses, swooping, chatting, smiling. Oh, I'm all right, but what about you? You look, well, tired. Angela nodded, but said nothing. Cassie found herself nervous at her friend's preoccupied air. Nervous about the reasons behind Angela's sudden decision to return at last to England, after nearly twenty years living in France. Let her find her level with us before we start talking, she thought as she poured more gin, more tonic more wine. She stood close to Angela as she tipped the bottle, brushing against her arm. She felt the other woman stiffen. How tense she is, thought Catty, in a sad, cold rush. The act of touching, touching and holding, was as natural to Catty as breathing.